Hello and welcome to the National Shrine of the Divine Mercy. I'm Father Chris Alar, and it's an honor to have you with us. I apologize from the very beginning. We're having a lot of technical difficulties, which obviously we know means that the evil one is not wanting this message out there. And it's all the more important reason why you are with us. As you can see, our topic today, I'm taking you back to one of my seminary courses that I loved because I don't feel in seminaries today we teach a much enough about living God's mercy. You know, we learn about the theology, we learn about the church history, and that's good. I've been walking you through that. But how do we live it, Father? How do we actually do it? What do we need? And that is the topic today. So we're going back to seminary with you. And so thank you for joining us. This way you can go to seminary. It doesn't cost you a thing and you don't even have to leave your room. So today's topic is the works of mercy. We're just gonna be doing the corporal works today. And infamous question, are you saved by faith alone? We hear that from non-Catholics all the time. Faith alone, you don't need works. We're going to talk about that. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Heavenly Father, we ask you to send the Holy Spirit down upon us to open our minds and hearts to receive the grace you wish to bestow, this grace that will help us live your works of mercy. And we ask this through Christ our Lord. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, you know, it's funny because here I've been preaching about the works of mercy, and we had a very busy week in Chicago this last week hosting the Catholic Marketing Network. And so here I am learning and teaching, or I should say teaching about mercy and preaching to you how to live it. Don't think God doesn't test me. So I get to the, to the airport after fighting Chicago traffic, which was unbelievable. And I'm there and I'm ready to get on my flight, and the flight that's right before me, this poor girl, uh, the airlines now, you know, I mean, we're bl bless them, they're, I, I know they're trying, but this girl was sent to the wrong gate all the way across the wrong airport of Chicago, and you have no idea how long that takes to get back and forth if you haven't been there. So she comes back to the gate and she missed her flight. It was the last flight of the evening. She had no clothes, they were on the plane. Uh, she had no money. They wouldn't put her up in a hotel. Her flight was delayed from the earlier, so it wasn't even her fault. Um, and she's crying, and I'm sitting there, and I only have $60 on me, so I go up to her, and I give her the $60 and just said, you know, I, this is, this, I, I've been in your position before. And she looked at me and didn't say a word. I, I don't know what to take of that, but you know what? It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. I think she was just so distraught. And so I sat back down next to a guy who also had the same thing happen to him. And he missed that exact same flight. And he said to me, you know, he goes, are you a pastor? And I said, uh, yes, a Catholic priest. And he said, you know, in the midst, I said, you were on this flight too? I said, boy, I've been there before. It really tries the patience. And he says, I've realized that the best way to do is just keep calm in these moments. And he went into this very deep explanation. It was very fruitful for me of hearing this lay person explain to me, a priest, about being patient. And, and he even used the word merciful. And I thought this was amazing. So sure enough, I get onto my flight <laughs> and I'm trying to work to do this talk. I'm trying to do this entire talk last night on a plane at, at 11 o'clock at night. And of course, I always get next to the screaming child that does not 
be quiet the entire flight. So my mind can't focus. Then it is freezing inside the cabin. I'm literally numb. They had the air conditioning on so hard. So I'm like, okay, Lord. Then they tell us there's a delay. So we're sitting on the tarmac now for 20 minutes, then 40 minutes, then an hour. And there's no word. There's no update. Pretty soon it's midnight. I'm still in Chicago. It's close to midnight. I'm still in Chicago. And then all of a sudden they come onto the loudspeaker and they say there's another problem that they got to deal with. I'm like, oh my gosh, Lord, this is where it's time to exercise mercy. And so I, 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 I want to preach, yes, but I also want to live it with you. So these examples are great for me. This is an amazing opportunity for us to be together in these works of mercy. So let's start with what I think is very, very important. Um, you know, when we look at this, uh, these works of mercy um, are not optional. They're commanded by God. And the words that God uses are not open for debate. He says, you either do this or you don't get to heaven. Now, our Protestant brothers and sisters, God bless them. They, they try. Many of them have live a stronger faith than we Catholics, many Catholics. But we have the fullness of the truth. One of the examples we hear always from people is that you are saved by faith alone and not by works. And I had a woman, you've all heard me tell that story probably about Walmart, where this woman comes up to me, I had my Benedict cross on, and she says, uh, I wasn't a priest then, and she says, are you Catholic? I said, yes. She goes, why do you belong to a religion that doesn't follow the Bible? I'm like, what? She's like, Romans 3.28. I'm like, okay, what's Romans 3.28? I didn't even know. You are saved by faith alone and not by works. Now we're in trouble because that's not what the Catholic Church teaches. And so the Catholic Church doesn't teach that. Romans 3.28, you are saved by faith alone, she said, and not by works. Well, we're in trouble. I remember going home thinking, why am I Catholic? This doesn't follow the Bible, but you know what? That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says you are saved by faith. We believe that. It doesn't say the word alone. Martin Luther added it. The only place in the Bible that says faith alone is in the book of James, where he says you are not saved by faith alone. James 2.24. And so it says, you got to keep reading because it says you are saved by faith and not by works of the law. Meaning you need to be circumcised to be saved. Meaning those kind of laws. We as Catholics believe that. So we are biblical. Now, this is more important because when questioned about this, when Luther added the word alone, here's Luther's response. Now, either we follow religion formed by Jesus Christ, or we follow one founded by a man who said this when asked why he added the word alone. Martin Luther said, I will it, I command it, and my will is reason enough. That's problematic. All right. We are talking about works of love, not of the works of the law. You need works of love. In 1 Corinthians 13, 2, it says, If I have faith that can move mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. This is what we Catholics mean by works. Works of love, not the law. Let's look at our next slide. And this is something important. This is James 2.24. I just read it. Let's go on through 2.26 even. See that a man is justified by works and not by faith alone. 
For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so faith apart from works is dead. This is scriptural. This isn't man-made Catholic humbo-jumbo, which we keep being told it is. This is in the scriptures. And so we have to understand that. Matthew 19, 17 says, if you want eternal life, Jesus says, keep the commandments. He didn't say when the, when the young rich man asked him, how do I get eternal life? He didn't say faith alone. How did Jesus answer him when he was asked, how do I get eternal life? He said, keep the commandments. Now it means we need both. As Matthew 25, the sheep and the goats. What you gave me, when I was hungry, you gave me food. When I was thirsty, you gave me drink. Uh, uh, welcome into the kingdom of your father. You have eternal life. To those who don't, away with you into the fire. It's very clear. Now, does that mean we're saved through works? No, and we'll explain that. <clears throat> All right, let's go to the next slide because that's the one I was just talking about, Matthew 25. For I was hungry. This could be the basis of the talk. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. This is what Jesus is talking about. We are not only to receive the mercy of God. We always pray for that. Lord, have mercy on me. Lord, have mercy on me. Christ, have mercy on me. This is good. We should. A is ask for God's mercy. It's the first thing we're supposed to do is first ask for mercy for ourselves. But it doesn't stop there. We then have to use it that mercy, and, and by being merciful to others through words, deeds, and prayer. You can do any one of those. Say something nice, do something nice, pray something nice. We are to practice the corporal, that's of the body, physical things, those works of mercy, and the spiritual works of mercy, like praying for people. We'll talk about that in two weeks, because next week is the first Saturday we're doing Marian apparitions, starting with the very first one. Now, Jesus says, in Luke 6, 36, be merciful as your father is merciful. What is mercy? Mercy is taking love to the highest level. What's the highest virtue? Love, greater than all the others. Faith, hope, notice that? Faith, which is what Protestants say, you are saved by faith alone. Faith, hope, but the greatest of these is love. There's your answer. We can't do this without works of love. Love is manifested in what you do for somebody. I could tell you all day long, I love you. But the second I'm not there for you, the second I avoid you, the second I don't do anything nice for you, the second that I do something bad to you, I don't love you. I can say it all day long. Jesus said, oh, whoever people say, Lord, Lord, not all of you are going to enter the kingdom of God, but those who do the will of my father. So this is what is mercy is love put into action. That's the definition of mercy. It is only, and this is, here's the thing that people don't get. Not only is it doing good, but it's also avoiding the bad. These sins aren't as serious though. We pray out of weakness or we pray for mercy out of weakness. You know, Paul says that if we are dominated by our flesh, we will not make it to heaven. How do we know this? Galatians 5.19. Now the works of the flesh are plain. Immorality, impurity, licentiousness, idolatry, sorcery, 
enmity, strife, jealousy, anger, selfishness, dissension, party spirit, envy, drunkenness, carousing. <laughs> he covers it about all, doesn't he? And I think every one of us listening to that is like at one time or another in our lives are guilty of that. And he says, I have warned you. This is St. Paul. I warn you as I warned you before that those who do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. So it is about what we do, but it doesn't start and end with what we do. It begins with grace. Then you got to have faith then you got to do this. Now, I've talked about grace already. I've talked about faith already. So now I'm getting to what you do with it. It's called good works. Doesn't mean you're saved by those works. We're only saved by Jesus Christ. But we'll talk about that. Now, <clears throat> this faith and works is very important. Let's go to our next slide. Okay. The next slide says, and count out, <clears throat> I'm sorry, and come out. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. Hmm. That is very, very, and I missed one. I'm sorry. I'm going to put another one so Brother Mark can go back one. I'm sorry. I missed one because this is from Galatians 6. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, he will soon reap. For he who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption, eternal death. But he who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. So sorry, I mixed up Brother Mark. I hope we got that right on the screen. If not, that's okay. You get the point. You get the point. No, it's not only works, but works can be a factor. In fact, they can't maybe, maybe be a factor. They are a factor. All right, now, we must understand that we are saved by grace. This is where Protestants get it right. Father, you are saved by grace. What are you talking about all this other stuff? I know we are. I never said we weren't. It all begins with God's grace. None of us merits anything. What happens is we are saved by grace through the instruments of faith and obedience. You get that? It's like by God's grace, you've been given much and now you have to cooperate with it. In other words, we are saved by grace, but we must cooperate with that grace. God's going to shower grace upon you to get to eternal life, but you have a choice to say yes or no to that grace. If, if our non-Catholics were right, that that means everybody would be saved because Jesus died for everybody and gave everybody the grace of redemption. Well, that would mean everybody's saved. It's not. Even they don't believe everybody's saved. And so this is important. Now, keeping the commandments is an instrument through which the grace of God flows and keeps us in Christ. All right? Paul said, if we are not in Christ, even outwardly, our outward righteous deeds will never merit eternal life. In other words, I could do all the good in the world, but if I'm not in Christ, they don't matter. This is what you commonly hear, and I hear it from my own family. Well, he doesn't believe in God. He doesn't go to church. He's living a homosexual lifestyle, but he's such a good person. 
he will get to heaven. He rejected the church of which he was baptized. He rejects his faith. He never goes to church. He never receives the sacraments. He never accepts that grace God gives him. He lives a lifestyle completely against God's law, but he was a good person. That's great, but that's not enough to save you. So merit all the good in the world. So that's why we Catholics are trying to explain that we are not saying we are saved alone by grace. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. <laughs> that we are not saved alone by works. We cannot say that, but they are necessary to live, to cooperate with the grace God gives. Does this make sense? I don't know if I'm explaining this well. I'm, it's been crazy. The, uh, I tried to find my car. I got up this morning and they brought me back from the airport. My car was gone. I came flying out. I said, Brother Mark, we need to get this all set up. We need to get ready. And I came out, my car's gone. Couldn't find the car. So I'm racing around between the houses and then it was parked somewhere off on the property and the doors are locked and there are no keys to be found. I'm like, where did they take the keys. So this is the kind of morning I'm trying to explain. I'm hoping this is making sense. Okay. So the powerful thing is here is the law. In other words, the law, whether Old Testament law or New Testament, cannot save us apart from the grace of Christ. That's what we mean by you are not saved by works of the law, but works of love. That's what does bring us in union with Christ. Because when we are do it out of love, we're imitating Christ. But St. Paul is not eliminating works as necessary for salvation. He's not eliminating it. He says, yes, you need faith, and, 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 and this is important. But he's not eliminating works. He eliminated works of the law. But he's saying, he points out what the Catholic Church has taught for 2,000 years. There is nothing anyone can do before you enter into the body of Christ that can justify you. You could do all the good works in the world. You could cure cancer. You could, you could, you could open up the biggest soup kitchen in the world and feed everybody. But if you're doing that outside of Jesus Christ, it's all for naught. It may be not for naught in the sense that you win an award in some secular dinner, and that's good. You're helping people. But if you do it apart from Jesus Christ, it has no merit. So our works are important, but they have to be united with Christ. Once a person enters into Christ, we need to follow him as a disciple. Not doing whatever we want, rejecting the faith, rejecting the church, living a, 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 a sinful lifestyle and saying, but I'm a good person. It's not. And so faith alone, is that true or not? James 24, you see that a man is justified by works and not by faith alone. So are we justified by faith? Let's go to that. Let's just talk faith now. Are we justified by faith? Yes. But by faith alone, no. Very important. We need both faith and works. All right. Matthew 19, 16 um, says, Jesus said to the rich man, if you want to enter eternal life, keep the commandments. Keep the commandments. Let's go to our next slide. Matthew 12, 36. All right. On that day, on the day of judgment. Now this one that scared the daylights out of me, everybody. 
You know, you get certain passages in the Bible. Some you're like, ah, okay, that's nice. And you get others like, well, you know, okay. But then you get other passages that say, oh boy, that scares the daylights out of me. And it's not meant to be God being an ogre. It's to wake us up. Jesus says, on the day of judgment, you will render an account for every careless word you have ever spoken. For by your words, you will be justified. And by your words, you will be condemned. Eek. We have to watch ourselves. This is important. <clears throat> this sounds like there is more to justification than faith alone. Word, deed, and prayer. All right, we can do this, though. Remember, uh, um, is it Philemon 4.13? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. It might be the Philippians. I can do all things in Christ who strengthens me. Now, we can't earn our salvation. That is not the teaching of the Catholic Church, even though we're told all the time it is. It's God's grace which justifies, sanctifies, and saves us, not us. But Paul's words show that if you're going to be saved, you need to be righteous. And righteous includes not just the desire to be righteous, not just saying I'm righteous, but actively working toward being righteous. Putting your practice or putting your words into practice. You ever hear walk the walk, talk the talk? I know some, a lot of people, sometimes I'm the same way. I can talk the talk, but when it comes to walk the walk, it's different. That's how we're looked at. This is the second half of what it takes to be justified. Justification. And a lot of times non-Catholics miss it. James 2.17 makes it very clear. Faith of itself, if it does not have work, is dead. James 2.17. Now, non-Catholics often misunderstand the Catholic teaching on merit. And I'm almost done with this. I'm going to get into the, the works of mercy. Thinking that we believe that we must do good works to come to God to be saved. Oh, you think you got to donate to the soup kitchen to get to heaven. You're buying your way into heaven. We don't teach that. In fact, we teach the opposite. Only Christ merits under his grace. Then we come to live in Christ. Then we naturally do good. This is important. All right. At the beginning of being a Christian, God forgives your sins and gives you the gift of righteousness. But it doesn't end there. All right. He's not done with you. Remember that? Well, God loves me just the way I am. Yes, he does. But he loves you too much to let you stay that way. Well, Father, I'm not going to church. I don't pray. I don't go to the sacraments. And I'm living with somebody who's not my spouse. But God loves me just the way I am. Yeah. But he loves you too much to let you stay that way. He wants us to grow in righteousness as our life goes on. This is what the Catholic Church teaches Catholic theology refers to this growth in righteousness as justification. You've probably heard the terms, never really thought about the difference. They're different, all right? We teach that we grow in righteousness, and that is growth in righteousness is 
justification. In the Catholic language, justification isn't something that happens just at the beginning of the Christian life. It continues. Remember the Bible says, I work out my, my salvation with fear and, and, and trembling daily. Salvation is not a one and done. It's worked out. Your, 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 your salvation is worked out daily. And what you choose or not choose. It happens over the course of your entire life. It's not once saved, always saved. This intellectual faith will not save us. Well, I believe in God. I'm going to heaven. Well, the demons believe in God. The demons know God exists. That intellectual faith, which is just I believe in God, is not enough to save us. Did it save the demons? No. The demons all believe in God, but they're not saved. If one has faith with love, then one has, as Galatians 5, 6 tells us, St. Paul, faith working through love. That's what you've got to have. All right. So to wrap up this part, how do deeds relate to this works of mercy devotion? All right. We are saved. This is important. Yes, we are saved only by God's grace, but we have to cooperate with that grace, as we said. Without deeds of mercy, our devotion is not real. I can't tell you that I love you without showing you I love you. Not everyone, as I said, who says, Lord, Lord, will get into the kingdom of God. We talked about this. For Christ will not only reveal the mercy of God to us and give you mercy, but at the same time, he places before you the demand that you live mercy. You want mercy? Then you got to live it. The measure that will be measured out to you is the measure by which you measure. So in other words, the measure by which you measure is the measure that will be measured out to you. How much mercy you get is how much mercy you give. John Paul II states that this requirement constitutes the very heart of the gospel in his Rich in Mercy encyclical. He said, it is the commandment of love and the promise to blessed are the merciful for they shall obtain mercy. All right. This is confirmed in our Lord's words to St. Faustina. Now we're getting into the good stuff. St. Faustina, the works of mercy and examples. All right. Let's read what Jesus said to St. Faustina. I demand from you deeds of mercy. Notice he said, I'm not asking. He says, I demand from you deeds of mercy. You are, yes. Are we okay, Brother Mark? Yeah, I demand, I'm sorry, we're still trying to work out technical difficulties. The slide is number seven. I demand from you deeds of mercy. You are to show mercy to your neighbors always and everywhere. You must not shrink from this or try to excuse yourself from it. Even the strongest faith is no avail without works. I am giving you three ways of exercising mercy towards your neighbor by word, by deed, and by prayer. This is Jesus' exact words. So if you, here's how you can live mercy. You can say something nice about somebody. But if you can't do that, at least do something. Well, let me start over. Probably the most powerful is doing something nice for somebody. Well, Father, I'm bedridden. I'm quarantined. I can't do something nice for anybody. Well, then say something nice about somebody. Gee, Father, I can't even get my mouth to utter the words of that person. Then you can pray for them. Word, deed, and prayer. 
or deed, word, and prayer. You can do it. Dr. Stackpole, who works with us, said, since all of us continually receive God's blessings of mercy, consolation, and healing, we cannot be indifferent towards our material and spiritually impoverished brothers and sisters. In other words, we were taken care of, we take care of others. This is not communism. All right, now we'll get into that later. The Lord demands that we perform these works of mercy. Today we'll talk about corporate, next week or two weeks from now, spiritual, because next week is the Marian apparition. Now, here's the thing. Love of God, who loved us first, and who showed us this infinite love by dying for us while we were still sinners has to be the sole motive for all of your actions towards others. Do you hear that? All right. Basically, God is giving you so much. If you're going to do good, it has to be out of love of God or those good acts don't have any value. They might have value that you did something on a secular, natural level, but not in the supernatural. In the supernatural, they're based on God. All right, this is very important. The Lord demands that we perform both these works of mercy, corporal and spiritual. All right, that's why desiring to do God's will, Faustina did everything on behalf of others. She basically said, if I do it unto them, I do it unto you, God, because didn't Jesus say, for the least of my brethren, what you did for them, you did for me. What you didn't do for them, you didn't do for me. So we are called to the heart, to be the heart, the hands and the feet of Jesus in a troubling world. Okay. When I told you that story about giving that lady that $60 yesterday, I wanted to get to this point in the talk to say, that wasn't me who gave her the money. That's not my money. That was from you. You are becoming the hands and the feet of Jesus because you support our ministry. That $60 that I handed that woman wasn't from me. I didn't earn that money. I'm not on a payroll at some business. You did. And you sent that money. That was the money that I gave her. So I'm not taking credit for that. I'm simply a steward. But now you are living mercy by the fact that you gave us the opportunity to be the hands and feet of Christ. So if you are unable, you're stuck in your house, you can't get out, you're still the hands and feet of Jesus. This is a beautiful how the way of the body of Christ works. And so this is it. This is the troubling and hurting world that needs it. You know, St. Therese never left her convent. St. Therese of Lisieux, but she was the patron saint of missions. <laughs> she never left her convent. She never traveled, but she's the patron saint of missions. You too could be the hands and feet of Jesus by supporting this ministry, even though you're not able to go out to Africa like we are, or India, or here in the United States. It's like the rays of divine mercy. Be that shining light to radiate out in positive ways. Now, here's something very interesting. There's, I want to read you a passage of St. Faustina you've probably never heard. And yet it's one of the most powerful. Let's make this prayer of St. Faustina found in Diary 163. This diary passage 
is almost never heard. It's almost never, I've never seen it in print. I've never seen it, well, I mean, in her diary. I've never seen it in anybody's talk. I've heard thousands of quotes from St. Faustina's diaries. We all know the standard ones. I've seen thousands of quotes in print in other books. I've never read this one. And this is one of the most powerful quotes St. Faustina ever gave. Diary 163. May the greatest of all divine attributes, that of your unfathomable mercy, pass through my heart to the soul of my neighbor. Here's her prayer. We should pray this. Maybe once a week. Here's her prayer. Diary 163. Help me, O Lord, that my eyes may be merciful so that I may never suspect or judge from appearances. But look for what is beautiful in my neighbor's souls and come to their rescue. Help me, O Lord, that my ears may be merciful so that I may give heed to my neighbor's needs and not be indifferent to their pains and cries and moanings. Help me, O Lord, that my tongue may be merciful, so that I should never speak negatively of my neighbor, but have a word of comfort and forgiveness for all. <clears throat> Help me, O Lord, that my hands may be merciful and filled with good deeds, so that I may do only good to my neighbors and take upon myself the more difficult and toilsome tasks. Help me, O Lord, that my feet may be merciful, so that I may hurry to assist my neighbor, overcoming my own fatigue and weariness. My true rest is in the service of my neighbor. Help me, O Lord, that my heart may be merciful, so that I myself may feel all the sufferings of my neighbor. I will refuse my heart to no one. I will be sincere even with those who I know will abuse my kindness. Whoa. And I will lock myself up in the most merciful heart of Jesus. I will bear my own suffering in silence. May your mercy, O Lord, rest upon me. You yourself command me to exercise the three degrees of mercy. The first, the act of mercy of whatever, the first act of mercy, so deed. The first, the act of mercy, the deed of whatever kind. The second, the word of mercy. If I cannot carry out a work of mercy, I shall assist by my words. The third, prayer. If I cannot show mercy by deeds or words, I can always do so by prayer. My prayer reaches out even the, my reaches out even there were I cannot reach out physically. My Jesus, transform me into yourself for you can do all things. Wow. I've never read that quote of St. Faustina anywhere else but her diary. Don't let that quote go away. Let's look then at these corporal works of mercy. Let's look at our next slide. The corporal works of mercy. And here I'm going to draw from two good guys, Dr. Robert Stackpole and Chris Sparks. 
We'll put a lot together on this. So what are they? Feed the hungry. Give drink to the thirsty. Shelter the homeless. Clothe the naked. Comfort the sick. Visit the imprisoned and bury the dead. These are powerful. All right. Note, we'll do the spiritual works of mercy in a couple of weeks. Now, centered on the heart of Jesus, whose love pours into our hearts. This is important here. Through prayer and the Eucharist, we are to let his love flow through our hearts, then to those in needs. So here's the thing, everybody. Mercy comes from Jesus's heart into our heart, from our heart to our neighbor's heart. That's how we save the world. If it's not done with that in mind, it's worthless. That grace and everything comes from Jesus's heart. That's where it starts. Then it comes to my heart. Don't let it die there. Don't sit there on it, on the treasure in the field and bury it. The Bible warns us, don't bury your treasure. Give your time, treasure, and talent. That's putting it into the heart of your neighbor. This is what we have to understand. <clears throat> so, Mother Teresa of Calcutta used to say that there are two kinds of real presence. You know, we talk about real presence in the Eucharist. She said there's two kinds. There's the Lord in the Blessed Sacrament, and then there's the real presence in the poor. Material and spiritual poor. She said, living on the bread of life, we receive our Savior's merciful love. So it comes from Jesus, we receive it. And in sharing our bread with the hungry, we return that love back. We return that love back to God. You did it to me, Jesus says. You do it to the least of my brethren, you did it to me. This is how we see it. That's why the Sisters of Charity, Mother Teresa's community, are committed to loving the poor who they call Jesus in disguise. Don't ever think that some poor person who walks up to you in the parking lot may not be Jesus himself. Jesus can do that. St. Faustina had a, a poor beggar show up at the door one day. She invited him in and made him some soup. He was ragtag. And she's there getting him food and she turns around and she looks at him and all of a sudden she saw Jesus. That's who was there. It was Jesus. Do we want to turn him away? No. And so this is very powerful. All right, the sisters saw the Lord as truly present in all who suffer. So right now I want to take a quick break to show you a video and a break for those who are here. We're halfway done to be able to show you what the works of mercy are. This is a great little three minute video clip, but it really nails it, I felt, on what the works of mercy are all about. Let's watch it. The works of mercy are far more than just good works. They are the imitation of God's mercy. Just as we are the object of God's mercy, we are called to become instruments of mercy for others. Mercy, brother boy, is always concrete. Jesus healed the sick, fed the hungry crowds, forgave sinners, and taught the ways of God. Among the most famous stories of the gospel are precisely the parables of mercy. The Good Samaritan who helps a wounded man. 
the lost sheep saved by the shepherd, and the prodigal son welcomed home by his father. There's also the parable about forgiving as many as 70 times, seven times. The church has specified 14 works of mercy, inspired by biblical texts and the words of Jesus himself. Above all, those regarding final judgment, we will be saved if we act mercifully, above all towards the poor with whom Jesus identifies. For the sake of simplicity, they are divided into corporal and spiritual, although both dimensions are always united. Feeding the hungry, giving drink to the thirsty, clothing the naked. These works refer to supplying bodily needs, but are also the first sign of recognizing human dignity. Sheltering the homeless, visiting the sick, visiting the imprisoned. Giving means sharing our own material resources, but also our time and talent. In the past, Christians were involved in ransoming slaves. Today, there are new forms of slavery from which we must free our brothers and sisters. Burying the dead. For Christians, the body is a temple of the spirit and should be honored with a dignified burial. Counseling the doubtful, instructing the ignorant, admonishing sinners. It's not about judging others, but about practicing fraternal correction, comforting the afflicted, forgiving offenses willingly, bearing wrongs patiently. These three actions are the most divine, impossible for us if God didn't give us the strength, praying for the living and the dead. The deceased also need our prayers that they may be freed from their sins. However, there are many more than 14 works of mercy. In a world which continues to create new forms of spiritual and material poverty, we are called to share a new face to the works of mercy. Okay, again, everybody, thank you. That's a great little clip on what the Works of Mercy are all about. And we apologize. We're still continuing to have technical difficulties on the YouTube side, but we'll get this posted for you uh, at a later time, later today, we're hoping, or tomorrow. So thank you for your patience. Now, let's start with the very important aspect of these Works of Mercy. Now let's go to our next slide because the next, or the first, work of mercy is feed the hungry. So there we go. You see on your screen, feed the hungry. It says feed the hungry so their stomach will have some food. Okay. That's what I tell the lovely ladies at my office when I don't have time to go eat. They always give me leftovers and I'm like, your work of mercy is to feed the hungry. So God bless them. But in this essence here, we have I was, Jesus says in Matthew 25, 35, for I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. All right. 
We can help the hungry in many ways. I'm just gonna give you some good examples um, by making donations that you all know this to the local food bank or helping a local soup kitchen for the homeless. We can take the time, however, people don't think about this, to educate ourselves about hunger in the world and we can use our voices and especially your vote to pressure politicians to make the fight against world hunger a priority. Now, there's a great charity called Hot Dogs for the Homeless. And this is a guy in Texas who feeds the homeless, brings hot dogs to them. And let me show you the next slide. That's, it's up on the screen. It's called Hot Dogs for the Homeless. That's a little symbol there on your screen. I wanna just read you a paragraph of what this guy, Rick Swyden, who started Hot Dogs for the Homeless in Texas said. I'm just gonna read you what he said. This is very powerful. It's an example of Feed the Hungry. He said, one day I was watching Dr. Phil. He was helping someone with depression. I thought this is very interesting because at one time or another, we've all had depression. And he said the best way to deal with depression is to do something for someone in need. I never thought about that. That's how God works. You'll be healed through the care of another. He said the best way to deal with depression is to do something for someone in need. And he said, well, I never considered myself as depressed. I was inspired to look beyond my own problems and to channel my stress by helping others based on what Dr. Phil said. One day while I was out walking with my wife, we passed a homeless man. He was in absolutely horrible condition. His fingernails were long and caked with grime. His skin was cracked and almost black from dirt. His mustache covered his lip by over an inch and was caked with food particles and with what looked like a continuous runny nose. This man was in the worst physical condition of any man I had ever met in my life. I sat down to talk to him and saw underneath this grease and grime and long hair, he had the most beautiful eyes, eyes that pierced my soul. We spoke for about 10 minutes. He never asked for anything. He didn't ask for any food. He didn't ask for any money. I then went to the food court when we placed an order for a hamburger, the man at the counter said, I'm sorry, sir, but all we serve here are hot dogs. It was like a lightning bolt from heaven. God's way of telling me, you are going to feed this man, but you're gonna feed this homeless man with a hot dog. By the time I got back to the place where I had met the homeless man, he was gone. I walked all over looking for him, but I couldn't find him. With hot dog fries and a root beer in hand, I was determined to feed a homeless person a hot dog that day. I eventually did. 
And it was the moment that Hot Dogs for the Homeless was born. It's a great, great group in charity. I can't tell you why, but when I got back to my room, I started crying uncontrollably for about an hour. It was the most emotional moment I ever felt in my life, both painful and joyful at the same time. I knew my life would never be the same. Mother Teresa once said, I have come more and more to realize that it is being unwanted that is the worst disease that any human being can ever have. I've learned after three years of feeding the homeless, Rick said, that it's not just the hot dog that's important, but that someone takes the time to show an interest in me. That someone takes the time to simply care about you and ask, how was your day? Wow, that's a great story and a good example. Feed the hungry. What about the next slide? Give drink to the thirsty. Most people say, okay, Father, go buy me a drink. In fact, this is funny. Father Mark Barron and I were downtown Chicago yesterday. And we were doing some filming, trying to talk to people about Jesus down at this Lollapalooza draws like a million people for a bunch of rock concerts. So here, Father Mark and I are down there on collars and trying to talk to people about Jesus. And there was a homeless man and Father Mark said, would you like something to eat? He says, actually, I really need something to drink. Father Mark said, well, I'm not gonna buy you alcohol. He says, no, could you buy me a Mountain Dew? <laughs> That's all this poor man wanted. And so Jesus says, I was thirsty and you gave me drink, Matthew 25, 35. Nearly a, nearly a billion people lack access to fresh, safe water today. Now, this is staggering to me. More than three and a half million people a year die from water-related diseases. Every 21 seconds, a child in the world dies of such disease. Now, listen to this. Nearly one-fifth of all childhood deaths are caused by diarrhea. Can you imagine? A fifth of the children in the world that die from these types of disease or illness die from diarrhea, which kills more children than AIDS, tuberculosis, and malaria combined. That's on water.org's website. We live in a world that is thirsty, both physically and spiritually. So what can we do? All right, next two weeks from now, we'll talk about the spiritual. Today, we're gonna to talk about the physical. Giving drink to the thirsty can be formed in, in the form of making a monetary contribution to the Marians, because we support that work in our missions or to other great groups. You can give your time or don donate food and water to the local food bank, soup kitchens, or other initiatives that bring food and drink to the poor? Yes. In our own homes, people don't think of this. We can make contributions to the effort by preserving water. I mean, I've been sometimes at friends' houses and they'll turn the shower on for like a half an hour before they get into it just to make sure it's hot. Like what? That's crazy. 
And then other people I know, I mean, for me, the shower, you got too many other things to do in the day. You jump in, you lather up, lather up your hair, you rinse off and you get out. I can never understand this hour shower thing. Sorry, I don't mean to offend anybody, but something to think about. Now, preserve this clean, fresh water. For example, use environmental friendly laundry detergents and less watering of our lawns. Just something to keep thinking. Giving drink to the thirsty can also be done by voting. You'll always hear me say that. For example, supporting clean water policies to make sure that there are clean water for the future. Let's look at our next slide. This is a good friend of mine out of Florida named Nermeen Rubin. She runs Water for Mercy in Africa. The goal is to bring, this woman has a heart of gold, good friend of mine, and she brings Water for Mercy. And you can go to her website, water4mercy.org. Her goal is to get people to give and so that the hands and feet of the people in Africa can drill wells and get fresh water for the people. You know, you can go for weeks without food. You could barely go a few days without water. Very important. Let's look at our next slide. This is Brian Thatcher, one of our apostolate groups. This is EADM, the Eucharistic Apostles of Divine Mercy, an apostolate of the Marian Fathers, so we know them well. He has done remarkable work in bringing fresh water to areas of the world, suffering without it. And he and his group have done tons to bring fresh water and, and things to the people. So we see it even within our own Marian family. Beautiful. So when you support us, you're supporting that kind of work. It's great. Or support them directly. You can Google Eucharistic Apostles of Divine Mercy. Or if you, if you send it to us and say, hey, I want this to go to Brian Thatcher, we'll get it to him. God bless you. All right, what's our next one? Clothe the naked. This is what Jesus listed as we read that whole thing. Jesus said in Matthew 25, I was naked and you clothed me. Jesus, Matthew 25, again, 35, 36. You can always go to your closets and find garments you don't wear that you can donate. But if you really want to be almsgiving, what's almsgiving? We always hear prayer, fasting, and almsgiving. Almsgiving is not just taking an extra $5 bill that's out of surplus in your wallet and throwing it in the church basket. Almsgiving is taking money from something you are going to buy for yourself. So for me, if it was, I was in secular life, it would be like, okay, I can't wait to go buy a new fishing rod. Real super good fishing rod costs about 80 bucks. And I want to go buy a really nice fishing rod. Almsgiving is saying, ah, uh, you know what? I'm going to take that $80. I'm going to buy some water or some clothing or some food for those who are in need. That's true almsgiving. By selling your items to raise money for these good causes, that's what it's about. Those of you who are working hard each day to earn money to provide your family for food and drink, you're doing this. Father, I can't do these works of mercy. I got my family to take care of. That is a work of mercy. Taking care of your own family, providing food and drink, clothing and shelter for your own family. Or those, those things that your family needs. Even cooking and cleaning at home. You're practicing the corporal works of mercy. At least outwardly do them in Christ, they become deeper. Now, practice them not only outwardly, don't just kick that meal and throw it on the family table and then disappear. 
You're doing it outwardly, but do it inwardly. Take joy in it. In the name of Jesus, I'm providing for my family. Why not practice it inwardly from the heart? Not grudgingly, but merely out of, and not out of just routine, but out of love of Jesus. Jesus, you, you entrusted these people to me. You entrusted my spouse to me, my children to me. I'm going to provide for them out of your will. Now, those works of mercy you're doing every night when you cook the dinner and you think it's a pain or you grumble or you despise it or you have to go grocery shopping or run errands or iron the clothes or do the laundry. Now they become works of mercy. And now they become redemptive for you and salvific for you as a ticket to heaven. Not because the works save you, but because you're doing it in Jesus. So you have two choices. You can do the same exact work and one has no value and the other has all kinds of value. You go through the motions, you disdain it, you hate it, you can't wait to be done with it, you don't like it and you don't do it through Jesus, it has no value. You all of a sudden say, all right, Jesus, I don't feel like cooking dinner tonight, but I'm gonna do it because I love you and you entrusted this family for me or to me. I'm gonna do it now out of love for you. It now becomes meritorious. That's what Catholics mean by good works. Now you become sanctified in love because you're doing what Jesus did. You fed the hungry, you gave drink to the thirsty, you comforted the sick, you visited them. And so this is what people don't understand. Now, we can do this with compassion and love, all for the glory of God. Mother Teresa says, it's not about successes or failures, but about being faithful in the little daily things, just like I described. Helping your children with their homework. Providing. In this way, St. Paul wrote, the simplest daily chores becomes, quote, this is uh, Romans 12.1, a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, a true spiritual worship. Wow. As the bells ring. Beautiful. The Lord's confirming it. All right, let's go to our next one. Shelter the homeless. Let's look at shelter the homeless. Jesus says, I was a stranger and you welcomed me, Matthew 25, 35. What can we do to provide shelter to the homeless? Nowadays, we're all afraid. And there's some truth. You have to protect your family. This is true. But you can start with family members, members of our own family. If we have an aging or ill family member, we can welcome them. Come to the aid of other families driven from their homes by providing your donation to us, Mary and Fathers, helped this poor lady last night at the airport who had no place to go and no money for a hotel. Look into helping, for instance, like Habitat for Humanity. They have volunteers that do building of homes for the poor and underprivileged, good things. Donate your time and money to Covenant House. It's another great one. Provides food and shelter for troubled young people in cities throughout North and Latin America. All right, we're getting close, everybody. God bless you. You're hanging in there. We can also practice these works of mercy by using our voting. I'll say it again. The time to support policies is now. Policies that lead to the creation of jobs, especially for the homeless and those in need. There is room for disagreeing on how you do it. 
Well, this politician wants to do it this way. This politician wants to do it this way. Father, which one do I go with? You can have differing opinions. You can have differing opinions. There's nothing wrong in church teaching about that. The end goal is to help. All right, there is room for disagreement. Now, our concern, though, has to be for their plight, genuine priority. The catechism says, this is the catechism now, human misery elicited the compassion of Jesus himself. Hence, those who are oppressed by poverty are the object or should be the object of preferential love on the part of you and the church. Catechism 2448. You know, remember our Lord himself started his life homeless. They had no place, nowhere to go. He was born in a manger because there was no room in the inn. And throughout his ministry, he had nowhere to lay his head. Remember, Jesus said, I have the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. See how this all ties together? All the scripture. We must have a special compassion for those who have had to share in this struggle. Like Jesus. All right, let's go to our next two to go. Visit those in prison. This is a very interesting one. Jesus said, I was in prison and you visited me. Matthew 26, 36. Visiting those in prison does not necessarily mean being soft on crime. You shouldn't be here. This is horrible. No, maybe they should. The some, absolutely with some violent criminals, society has to lock them away. They have no choice to lock them up and throw away the key. But here's the thing. Throw away the key, not the person. That's how we have to look at prisoners. Punishment can deter and quarantine somebody, yes, and maybe it should. But friendship and prayer, not quarantine and punishment, but rather friendship and prayer can reform and heal, even leading them to repent. You know, there's this guy named Charles Colson. He was part of that Watergate conspirator, uh, very criminal. Um, he converted to Christianity <clears throat> while he was in prison. Now, there's a lot of people who've fallen under that category. Father, why do you mention him? Because he now runs a huge prison ministry. The guy of Watergate, this Charles Colson now runs a huge prison ministry. It's beautiful. You know, a true work of mercy is done by Christians who befriend those, especially in prisons, in the name of Jesus Christ, because you are showing that they have human dignity, made in God's image. We don't look at them. We look at what they did as wrong and needs to be punished, but they're still human and they need prayers. They are the souls in most jeopardy of hell. So they should be the first ones we're praying for. You know, when you've got a million things, I always tell my staff at work, they're like, Father, you got to do this. you got to read this document. you got to sign this contract. you got to do this. I always say, listen, give me the fires that are closest to my doorstep that are going to burn my house down. Those are the ones I got to get to first. If there are other ones out in the field, I will get to them. But right now I got to fight the fires that are on my doorstep before they burn this house down. It's the same with those souls. 
It's awesome that we're praying for souls of our friends and those we know, our colleagues and coworkers. That is great. But maybe it's those souls in prison that are closest, speaking of fire, to the fires of hell that we need to be praying for. And I think this is truly important. Now, a true work of mercy is, like I said, are the ones as praying for them because they are called, we are called to try to help save them. They're the ones in most jeopardy. Let's go back to the Eucharistic Apostles of Divine Mercy again. Brian Thatcher, his cynicals, they sometimes take on the work of visiting those behind bars and they start cynicals with them in prison, reading the diary. Isn't that awesome? They actually enable prisoners to study the diary of St. Faustina. This is the cynicals of, of Brian Thatcher and the Eucharistic Apostles of Divine Mercy. What a great thing to get involved in. And the catechism, they even help learn and teach the prisoners that. And they grow in their knowledge and love of the Lord. They've seen it. So in short, needy persons on our doorstep are not necessarily the ones that we are, not the ones we're supposed to step over. Remember the Lazarus and the, and the rich man? Lazarus laid at his doorstep and the rich man would step over him every day and walk by him. And then Lazarus was not allowed into heaven. Another biblical example. Maybe that person at your doorstep isn't your neighbor. Maybe it's the prisoner down the street. And so this is scriptural. And sometimes those are the ones that need our help. I'm going to tell you a quick story about a lady that um, is on our website named Dawn. And I want to read you a, a, a comment from her that I thought was powerful. These are her words. Dawn said, this year I started sending birthday cards to men in prison. And it has been a true blessing for them and for me. It is something I've always wanted to do. I see the impact of correspondence programs has on them. And I thought how beautiful it would be to let them know that they are being thought of on their birthday. Our birthday is a gift from God. And for these men, many of them never have ever had a birthday party growing up because of the environment in which they were living. Many of these men are alone. They're experiencing conflict with their family and have low self-esteem. Many of them have lost friends and family because of the life they've led. They've had no one to love them. Many in there never had a father. Yeah, I said that in a previous talk that the statistics of men that are in prison for violent crimes is overwhelming, didn't have a father. She said, many of these never had a father. I receive immediate responses from men overjoyed, sometimes to the point of tears, and they are even that, that they are even thought of. Hmm. For some, it was the only card they have ever received. It's important that they understand that they were created for a purpose and that God loves them very much. Take time to remember in your prayers those who are imprisoned, for it is within those walls that God's love and mercy is most needed. Hmm. Powerful, huh? All right. 
Comfort the sick. Let's go to our next one. I'm sorry, we do have two more. Comfort the sick and bury the dead. So comfort the sick is our next one. Jesus said, I was ill and you cared for me. Matthew 25, 36. Mother Teresa once said that the greatest poverty was not hunger and homeliness, homelessness. <laughs> That's too bad I said that. Not homeliness, homelessness. Rather, the greatest poverty is being unwanted, unloved, and uncared for. So by caring for the sick, we can do that. We can help do this, this kind of poverty, by making room in our weekly schedules to visit the sick, the homebound, those in nursing homes, whether they're family, friends, or strangers. I know it's hard now with coronavirus, but to comfort the sick means, first of all, to comfort them with something they urgently need. Yes, medical assistance, but also love. Sadly, in the U.S., over 40 million people can't afford medical insurance. Of course, they are people who are sick, not from physical illness either, but from social isolation. You know, we think especially of the elderly who live and around us, but yet are isolated from us. Man, visiting the sick in our world can mean reaching out to the friendly. I mean, this is people who are struggling, the friendless that have nobody. You know, when I, I go to the nursing homes, a lot of times the, the, the staff now has come to know me and they'll come to me and say, Father, I know this person isn't Catholic, but would you stop by room 324? That person hasn't had a visitor in 12 years. Absolutely. I don't care if you're a Martian. If you haven't had a visitor for 12 years, this is powerful. There are many who are sick at heart, not just physically sick, being lonely and forgotten and deprived of basic friendship. You know, volunteer, meals for wheels you can deliver to people. Again, I know it's very hard with coronavirus or visiting nursing homes. Ask your parish priest they usually have a list of sick and infirmed parish members. You know, those um, that, that you could direct, that they could direct you to go to um, and visiting them as members of your parish. You know, it's funny, I, in North Carolina, before I became a priest, I was motivated to go to a place called Huntersville Oaks. And this is back way before coronavirus. And North Carolina has much easier laws than the Northeast. They, pretty much everybody loves each other and just says, God bless you. Um, bless your heart. That was the big thing. Bless your heart. And I got a couple of friends up from North Carolina here, actually. And I used to take Rocky, my big yellow lab, to the nursing homes. And he loved it because he'd catch all the scraps that would fall to the floor from the people if they were eating. But the people loved him. And just petting Rocky, he was the most gentle yellow lab in the world. His big old head was like a big old polar bear. And they would be petting his head. And it just was, we didn't have to say a word, just allowing them to pet Rocky and Rocky to sit there with this big smile on his face, looking at these people. And now we probably can't even do that with this coronavirus and us isolation. And I remember I was walking through, I would go, I started by visiting the parishioners from St. Mark's Huntersville. And that's why I would go to this nursing home in Huntersville Oak. But I remember passing through um, by a door uh, of some um, other um, um, patients that I, I didn't know who they were. And I remember seeing this one guy 
for months as I would walk past him. And all he did all day was go in his bed up and down like this. And I thought he was, must be coherent or incoherent, unable to speak or talk. And he just would, would, would bounce up and down. And I would walk by and I would say a prayer for him, but I never stopped in. Well, he's not on my list and, and you know, I don't know who he is and he doesn't seem like he can communicate, but I would see him and he would just be going up and down. And then one day God put on my heart to go in there and I went in with Rocky and he's just going up and down. And I, and I stopped in his room. I wasn't, I didn't ask permission. I just did it. And I said, hi, my name is Chris. And he stopped and he turned around. Half his face was missing. And he said, my name's Terry. Hello. How are you? I was like, whoa. And I started talking to this man. You know his story? He was 48 years old at that time when he was 19. He's been in that bed since he was 19. He was working for a tree cutting company at 19 years old. And they were cutting a massive amount of trees in North Carolina after a hurricane. And one of the guys was cutting the limbs and the guys were walking around. They were always very careful and somebody got crisscrossed or something happened and Terry went over where he wasn't supposed to be. And a guy cut this giant tree limb and it started to fall and he screamed at Terry when he saw Terry and Terry looked up and that tree went right through him and crushed the whole side of him. And he's paralyzed. It crushed his spine. It went in and he's paralyzed. And he's been in that bed since he was 19. And I sat there and I used, I was enthralled with this man. So every time I would go back to visit the Catholic parishioners, I would stop to see Terry. And he would tell me about his life and he told me about everything. Nobody ever stopped to see him because his natural reaction, what I mean by paralyzed is from the waist down. He couldn't walk. And that's why he would just move up and down. It was something on his spine or something. And nobody ever would talk to him. The staff did, but nobody else, because nobody figured he could even talk. What an amazing man that nobody knew. And so our works like that can actually open up doors of mercy and grace like we, we can't imagine. And so on my next trip back to North Carolina, I want to go there and see if he's still there. Because that's the kind of person that ever affects the changing of your heart or can forever affect your heart. So beautiful. All right. So to say this, <clears throat> such people often live in squalor, constant stench of sickness or chronic pain. But we can help them to offer up their sufferings. We can help them to see the value and meaning of their existence. Our mere presence, just being there, listening, can mean more to them than we can ever imagine. And along the way, we're given the gift. We grow in virtue. We're given an incredible gift. We help, we are helped more than that person that we feed or visit 
They help us to grow in virtue, to work mercy, to be saved. Helping those in need is more helpful for us. God is giving us a chance to be merciful. All right, lastly, you've been great. The last one, bury the dead. Now that one's confusing for some people. Let's look at the, the slide, bury the dead. People are like, well, of course we're going to bury the dead, Father. We don't want to put them in our closet. We're not going to do that. We're going to bury the dead. All right. No doubt most of you will make sure your relatives and friends have a proper burial. That's a work of mercy. To ensure that they have prayers and graces to prepare them for heaven. Make sure you have a Catholic mass for your Catholic deceased. Very important. But be aware of the needs of those who are grieving too. Not just those who have died, but to bury the dead means emotionally help those who can't let go of somebody they lost. That's what they meant, help bury the dead. This is what Jesus says. Grieving can be a very long and hard process, shedding many tears. We need to help them to truly bury their lost loved ones by finally letting go, commending them to the mercy of God, entrusting them to the hands of Christ the Savior. That takes friendship that keeps on keeping on. Visit them, bereave with them, help them dry their tears. This is a precious work of mercy to help one emotionally bury the dead by entrusting them finally to the mercy of God, their loved ones. The most important aspect of this work of mercy is holy souls. You know, this is big. Our ability to help release from purgatory those who can't help themselves. Having masses said for them, offering personal prayers and sacrifices for them, huge. The holy souls cry out in their suffering. We are the only ones that can help them. Not even the saints in heaven can fully help them or else purgatory would be empty. It's up to us. For our help, they ask, to undergo purification. Our founder, St. Stanislaus Papchinsky, said the greatest act of charity you could ever do is pray for the holy souls because they can't help themselves. Wow. He says, pray them to God for their freedom. Now, how do you do that? Contact your parish priest, have masses said for them. You can call us Marian fathers. We do masses. You can have masses said for your dead, faithful, departed. Arrange for this. Our Association of Marian Helpers, we make the commitment to bury the dead, meaning we pray for them so they're ready for heaven with all the, the graces of the church. Thus, you can enroll your deceased loved ones. They can be members of the association as, um, as deceased, believe it or not. That means they still share in the graces. That's huge. Give us a call. And it's easy to remember. 1-800, the number 4, Marian. M-A-R-I-A-N. All right, so we're wrapping up now. When we come to the Holy Eucharist, we are actually closest to the faithful departed. Why? Because whether they're in purgatory or in heaven, they're close to Jesus. And it is uniquely present to Jesus, and he's close to us through the Eucharist. So when we take the Eucharist, we're closest to the dead. And to help bury the dead is to help give them the graces to rest at peace. What do we say when somebody dies? Rest in peace. The only way you're going to rest in peace is to have the graces to get to heaven. You want to bury the dead, have them rest in peace, pray for them to give them the graces to get to heaven. Holy communion can help us do that. 
We can make every Holy Communion a time of prayer for your faithful departed and the graces that they need. Now, we can't do all these examples I just gave you. We can't do them all. Pick two or three. That's how you be a disciple. Open your eyes and your hearts to serve God's children and your neighbor. It's not a recommendation. It's a duty. Even if you can't do any of these things because you're bedridden yourself, offer your suffering. Say a prayer. Offer a kind word. You can always pray for those who are doing works of mercy, and that's a work of mercy. You can always support those doing a work of mercy. We Marian fathers are doing works of mercy. Vietnam and India, Europe, the United States, Africa. So when you support ours, us, you're supporting that work. That's a work of mercy yourself. Pray for those in prison in that ministry. Help them. Needs for the needs that they are giving or those who are work with single mothers. Most of all, pray for those struggling to give food, clothing, shelter, and care for their own family. This is you too. That's why I pray for you. Powerful stuff. Whether by deed, word, or prayer, it's always possible to do a corporal work of mercy. And Jesus says it's mandatory. God bless you all. Thank you so much for joining us. I apologize for all of the technical difficulties. And we want to finish with a way that you can actively learn and help. Take a look at your screen. This is a free pamphlet that you can get called the Works of Mercy. I won't charge you a penny, not even shipping. You want to learn about the Works of Mercy and everything I talked about here today and how to live it? Visit marion.org slash live mercy. And for those of you who are present, you can find it on the talk when we get it posted. Again, marion.org slash live mercy. I'll send it for free. No cost, no shipping. I'll send it for free. Now, the next slide is my book that talks a lot about being merciful. You've seen this before. Any donation. Father, I only got a dollar. Fine. Dollar's great. It'll go towards our ministry. You can get that as well at thedivinemercy.org slash UDM for Understanding Divine Mercy or call that same 800 number for Marion, 462-7426. All right, and finally, I have two last announcements. Coming up next week on Saturday, we are gonna do something very special. We're gonna move our first Saturday's talks to 11 o'clock. Well, I'm sorry, not move them, keep them at 11 o'clock, but I'm gonna do a short talk less than half of what I did today at 11 o'clock every first Saturday. I'm going to talk about a Marian apparition approved starting from the very first one going all the way to today. So we're going to pick a Marian apparition each first Saturday. I'm going to tell you about it. So I'm going to talk to you about La Salette. I'm going to talk to you about Akita. All these Marian apparitions one at a time every first Saturday. Then stay with us because I'll do a short talk, but then at 11.45, I want to come back and we're going to do the first Saturday devotion. And it's open to all of you in the public so you can join us. And so look at the screen. At 11 o'clock is the Marian Apparition talk. This is first Saturday. And at 11.45 is the first Saturday devotion. All right, now you want to change the world. I just mentioned it with that pamphlet. I've invited you for the last week to join me in daily doing a work of mercy. Every day, 
Do a little work of mercy. Do something nice for somebody. Simple as holding a door. Share with us what it is. Tell us what it is. I shared with you my airport experience. And so this was because of you. You made it possible that I could help that woman. Now, share a little with us. You don't have to. Just do it internally. You don't have to sign up for anything or write anything or register anywhere. Just do it in your heart. Do something nice for somebody. Every day, do one act of mercy. If you, got, you find yourself going to bed at night, you say, gee, I didn't do anything nice. Say a prayer. Deed, word, or prayer. It's midnight. I'm going to bed and I live alone. I can't do anything now. You can say a prayer. You can offer up a suffering. That's a work of mercy. And so change the world. Let's look at our next slide. Act of mercy each day. And then on Fridays, do an act of penance. Can be something as small as not salting your food or skipping dessert. Could be something as big as fasting or abstaining from meat, which we're supposed to do anyway. But if you don't do that, you can substitute it with something else the church says. And finally, a good resource if you'd like to get all this, is Father Mike Gately's book, You Did It To Me, which you can see on your screen at shopmercy.org, has some great ideas on how to live divine mercy. Um, yes, that book is um, an opportunity to see it in action. So God bless all of you. I won't bother having Mark show anything at the end of this video because there's so much already in it. But we appreciate you coming. We appreciate you being with us. And let us live mercy. Not live mas, live, live mercy. I should say, yes, live mas, but live mercy. Because this <clears throat> is what God commands us to do. And may Almighty God bless you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please follow or subscribe to this podcast to receive the latest episodes and updates. If you have been blessed by this podcast, I invite you to leave a review. Reviews greatly improve our podcast ranking and will help spread this podcast to other people throughout the world. Are you enjoying this podcast? I invite you to listen to more shows brought to you by the Marian Fathers of the Immaculate Conception. Join us daily for enriching spiritual content which will help you on your journey with Jesus Christ. Simply visit divinemercyplus.org for a complete list of our shows. That's divinemercyplus.org. Are you a Marian helper? Join our Spiritual Benefit Society and start sharing in the graces of all the daily Masses, prayers, and good works of Marian priests and brothers all over the world. Sign up is free and easy. Simply visit micprayers.org. That's micprayers.org. Thank you, and God bless you.